0: Alright, please open with me in your Bibles to the letter of James. He's given us one letter, and boy is it a doozy. James 4, 1-10. Let's stand together for the reading, if we're able, of God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord to you this morning. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Amen. Amen. The reading of the word of the Lord. May bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Lord, have mercy. We've got to pray again before I start talking about this. Let's pray. Father, we need You. These are strong words. But they're strong words for a difficult time we live in, Lord. We need You now more than ever. Our country needs You now more than ever. Our world needs You in some ways like it never has before. So be with us through Your Holy Spirit, Lord, in a mighty way. Speak to our hearts. Open them wide that we would... Be receptive to the truth, Lord, that we would be protected from the lie and that we would let your love in, Lord, to transform us from the inside out as we draw near you. Draw near to us as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I saw a post on that wonderful thing we call Facebook. Yeah, I know. I know, right? So you know right away where we're going with this one, right? I usually keep silent about most of them and just kind of groan. I even made like a prayer. I'm like, Lord, I'm not looking at the feed no more. That's not why I'm on Facebook. It's to connect with my cousins and friends. But I end up catch you know, the feed is right there and you end up seeing crazy stuff. But what I saw here was, there was this little post that said, which symbol has a history of the most hate-filled death? deaths?" And the symbols to pick from were The Nazi swastika, the Confederate flag, and the cross. And uh, um, I am friends with many, many non-Christians, let's just say. And most of them picked the third symbol. They said the cross is responsible for death, the most hateful death. The cross. The cross of Christ. In other words, Christianity. Now, this reflects the age-old accusation that religion, especially the Christian religion, is responsible for the majority of wars in the world. Right? you ever hear those people, religion, if it wasn't for religion, there'd be peace in the world. Right? Many in the world get on the bandwagon calling for the removal of all religion so that the world can live in peace. And if you think I'm making this up, you know there's a popular song out there by John Lennon. Remember John Lennon? He was one of the ones who said uh, the Beatles, more popular than Jesus Christ. Yeah, so um, he didn't like religion too much. But this is what he says in that song, Imagine, that most of the world loves, and it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. He says this, Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. The message of that is if there was no religion, we'd live in peace. We'd have nothing to fight over. That's the view of this world. That is, when we talk about the world in this sermon, particularly as James talks about the world, sometimes the Bible uses the word world in three different ways. The world as in just the actual world, the earth, right? The cosmos. And sometimes God will say, God so loved the world, and that means the world of all humanity, But many times, and in this case this morning, so you don't get confused, the world is that world system that hates God. Okay, It's it's unredeemed humanity that follows the ways of the prince of the power of the air. That's the world. The world that's at enmity with God, that doesn't follow his rule, doesn't follow follow his values, could care less about his ways. That's the world that I'm talking about, that James James is talking about here. They are so blind. The world is so blind. Listen to this. Here's, here's the powerful thing about this. When the one who came to cure the world of war, to cure the world of infighting, to cure the world of sin, to bring about the peace of his kingdom, when he came, what did they do to him? They killed him. They, killed him. they nailed him to a tree. The hope of the nations. And here's the thing about the one they killed. As he was bleeding and as he was dying, he said, man, am I going to get you? No. He said, Father, forgive them. That's right. To his last breath, Father, forgive them for they know not what, do- what they do. You know what else is interesting? Jews and Gentiles back then especially hated each other. But when it came to killing Jesus, they kind of shook hands, didn't they? That's the world away, apart from Christ. But those of us who have fled to Jesus for refuge, who fled to Jesus for mercy, who fled to Him for His grace and for redemption, we know who the real enemy is. We know who's ultimately to blame for wars, for quarrels, for unrest, for sin. And as that old saying goes, we have met the enemy... And He is us. Can I get an amen? It's sin. Why why do we have wars? Think about it. Why do we have murders? Why do we have people stealing and pillaging and raping? Because man by nature is greedy for power. Right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Man is greedy for pleasure. Doesn't care who he's got to step over, doesn't care who he has to step on, as long as he gets some of his. All of it. Or they want all of it. They're not going to stop till they get all of it. Remember, there was a guy we used to, his name was Hitler. He wasn't going to stop. And it's easy to blame him until we realize that same seed is right in here. What we need to remember is a different song from a different author. This isn't John Lennon. This is somebody who I admire for uh, many of his songwriting skills. Believe it or not, his name is Bob Dylan. But he wrote a song called When He Returns, speaking about Jesus. And this is more biblical than John Lennon's song. He says, Will I ever learn that there'll be no peace, that wars won't cease until He returns. Amen? Amen. He's coming to make it. He's going to right all wrongs. He's going to bring true peace. But until then, what about, and this is what James is most concerned about, what about the church of Jesus Christ? It's easy to see war in the world. It's easy to pick on the world. But James here turns his attention to the people of God. And he, wants to, he asks the question, what causes the bickering and the fighting that we often fall into in the church? Why is it that we look to so many other directions, for so many other places to see why we fight and quarrel and war with one another, even though we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? We have the same Father. We have the same Holy Spirit living inside us. And still, to a watching world, we're fighting among each other. You with me, brothers and sisters? And James, in his inimitable way, as, as for those of us who've been going through his letter, we realize he just tells it like it is. He doesn't hold back. He tells us flatly. What causes fights and quarrels? Our sinful desires and our worldliness. That's what causes uh, the fighting. Why is this so shocking and surprising to us? It shouldn't be for those of us who have been convicted by our sin, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, those of us who've turned to Christ for mercy because we realized we needed forgiveness, we needed cleansing. It shouldn't be a shock. It should sadden us when we see sin in the church. But we shouldn't be shocked. And I'll tell you why many times we're shocked. And now I'm going to get into this text and I'm going to run. We just don't take our sin nature seriously in the church. We don't. We simply don't believe that we're capable of the most heinous of sins. Now somebody else might be, but not me. Right? That's how we think. I could never, somebody does something in the church, ooh, I could never do something. Whoa, that's a dangerous path, my brother or sister. That's a very dangerous path. Why did so-and-so say this mean thing? Why did he do this inappropriate thing? Oh, they must have been tired. ever hear that excuse? Right? Or they must have forgotten to take their meds. That's a big excuse today. Or, or maybe, what you know, they just wanted some acceptance. They didn't really mean to do those huge, hard, horrible things to you. Now, to a degree, some of those things may be true, at least to an extent. But the real core reason that we sometimes are just so afraid to come out and say is because evil is lurking in the hearts of even believers. We do have a sinful nature. You know, remember my dad used to watch a sh- listen to a show. They didn't have TV; they had radio. My dad remembers those days. And and he's, the, the show goes, "Who knows what lurks? Evil lurks in the hearts of men." And then I remember I said that, and my dad goes, "The shadow knows," because <laughs> it was an old. Ultra- but we know, don't we, brothers and sisters? If we're honest with ourselves before God, we know what's in there. Now, maybe we don't see the obvious because we, fall, we have fell into false teaching in the past, past. And even among those of us who are we're Presbyterian, we pride ourselves on being reformed in theology and knowing the theology of the Bible. Sometimes kooky things come from us too, so let's not get too prideful. I remember one time when I was at my home church, and, and my pastor, who's normally excellent, right on the money, I was a young believer And he preached this message about us no longer, Christians no longer have a sinful nature, he said. And he took that from a theologian who, I won't get into the whole thing, but from Romans 6 where it says we're crucified with Christ, he took it too far and said, therefore we have no sinful nature. Now we just have the remnants of the sinful nature. But, you know, and I remember going up to him after the service, humbly, because I was a new believer and I, I didn't want to contradict him because he is a godly and a good, humble humble man but I remember saying to him if that's true Craig then then why would Paul say in Galatians this these words Galatians 5 so I say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature in other words there is a sinful nature that I can gratify if I don't walk by the spirit amen Amen. and the wonderful thing and this shows a good shepherd he said hmm you got a good point you're right and he changed his position that's a man of God that's a man of God how often does that happen right usually there's some defensiveness he just came right out and goes hmm that's a good point other folks just simply think way too highly of human nature and they badly underestimate the depravity of man even among believers remember King David what does the Bible say about him he was a man, actually God says, he's a man after my own heart. And yet, he does that horrible thing. What does he do? He cheats on his wife. He sleeps with another man's wife. And then gets her pregnant. And then has him killed. Because he refused to sleep with her so it would look like it was the husband's, wife, uh, husband's baby and not his. You understand? He commits murder. He commits adultery and murder and he's a man after God's own heart. And I'll never forget Chuck Swindoll. I used to listen to him a lot when I was a new believer. He's a good preacher. He said, why did David do this? Because he's depraved. I never forget how he said that. Depraved. I said, that's true. That's true. Why am I going into all this? Because James is under no illusion about sinful man. He gives us both the cause of fightings and infightings among us and wars, but he also gives us the remedy for the destructive infighting and quarrels in the church. Praise God, there is an answer. And the cool thing is, he's been leading up to it this whole epistle. Throughout his epistle, he's been giving us a lot of conviction. And sometimes I kind of say, James, are you ever going to tell us some good news? Well, the good news is the last second half of this sermon, he finally gets to the answer of, to the problem of sin. All right, so what we're going to see this morning is simply this. James gives us the cause and the remedy for discord in the church. And those two things we're going to look at, the cause and the remedy. Pretty easy. We're going to see the cause and we're going to see how God tells us we could fix it or he could fix it. Let's take a look first at the cause. Look at verses 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. James is talking about a very familiar scenario. You know what it is. You want something so bad, yet you still can't get it. So you go to great extremes to fulfill your desires, no matter who gets hurt, no matter who you have to step on to get it, and no matter what destruction you leave in your wake. You been there? I've been there. I wanted it so bad, I just, I didn't care. I had the tunnel vision, man, I'm going to get it. And meanwhile, I'm hurting people left and right. Now, it could be a good desire, the desires that he's talking about here, it could be a good desire that you're tired of waiting on God for. So you go out of God's will, outside of God's will to fulfill that desire. You get that? In other words, it's a good thing to want to be loved. It's a good thing if you're single to want to be married, right? And to have sex in in a godly marriage. But sometimes, sometimes as we're waiting for that, um, we feel like God's taking too long. You with me? And so we step outside of what God's plan is. And we end up hurting ourselves and others deeply. Sometimes it's just a flat out bad desire. (laughs) It's just wrong. But we want it. We don't care. I've actually heard Christians say, and I'm sure I've said it in my heart, I'm just too, uh, maybe I'm too afraid to say it out loud. I don't care what God thinks. I remember when I was a non-Christian, I might think like that. But it's scary when a Christian thinks like that. You with me? And James explains why we sometimes still don't have what we want. He says you do not have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. (laughs) Some of us don't ask God because we know it ain't right where at least we have at least that much dignity, where we're like, I'm not going to ask God because I know this ain't the right thing. You with me? But he says the problem is, so you don't have these things because you don't ask, and when you do ask, you ask for these things simply for your own hedonistic pleasure. Now here's the point. The word in the Greek there for pleasures comes from that word where we get hedonism. Hedonism, what that is, it's a a way of life. It's a philosophy that says the main goal of the human race, our goal in life should be what? Pleasure. Now, here's the thing that's interesting for me personally. Before I was saved, I wasn't a big intellectual person. I didn't do a lot of studying and reading. I did some reading of comic books and guitar magazines. That's about it, right? But I'll tell you where I didn't even realize until I got saved what my goal was all the way up to that time Jesus saved me. And that was pleasure. My whole life was about minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. Look, I'll give you an example. A great adventure, they have these awesome rides, right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, you're going to have a great time. But I would say, hmm, this is a long line. Suffering. You follow me? And maybe that suffering is not enough for the pleasure. So then it ain't good for me. You see how I ran my life? You want to hang out with me? Oh, let's let's see. Are we going to party? Are we going to have a good time? And if you were like, no, I just need you to spend time and be, you know, not enough pleasure. You follow me? It's hedonism. And James is saying, are you kidding me? You wonder why God's not going to give it to you when you ask for things that are just simply for your pleasure? He's not going to answer your hedonistic requests. And here's the problem. That was me before I'm saved, but the scary thing is sometimes that comes up in me again. And sometimes I don't even realize it. And you don't either. It's the opposite of praying this way. Listen. I always think of it this way. If I can't say these words, maybe my prayer needs to change. For Jesus' sake and His glory. Right? For the good of others, Lord, and for the sanctification of my soul. If you can't pray like that, then your request is off. That doesn't mean that sometimes that you can't pray for things that will refresh your soul. That's a good thing. But what it does mean is are you praying according to God's will? He's given us plenty of words to tell us what they are, what his will is. There's no lack of knowledge here. One more Bob Dylan song. I just got to. I don't know I was in a Bob Dylan mood. He says this, do you ever wonder just what God requires? Do you think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires? And then he says, when are you going to wake up? Listen, some of us treat God like he's the genie in the lamp. Are you with me? We rub away and we have wishes. And James says, no matter, no wonder, God isn't listening. Before we knew Christ, we desired all kinds of selfish, wicked and ungodly things, but when Christ saved us, we began to desire the things of God, spiritual blessings that God couldn't wait for us to ask for so that he could pour them out on us. You know that? And that's what James is saying. Where's your heart now, brother? Where's your heart now, sister? You in tune with God? You want what he wants for you in your life? Do you desire all the wonderful, great things he cannot wait to grant to you? Remember what Jesus said. Which one among, what father among you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Remember that? If he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. God loves, your father loves to give good gifts to those who ask. James is talking about here, is the sad possibility of Christians backsliding. I have a couple of quotes from Dick Lucas this morning. Here's one of them. He says this, We either go forward or back in this Christian matter. Either we covet God's gifts with all our heart, or we slip back again and begin to covet the things that the world covets. You can't stand still. And then he gives a wonderful illustration of riding a bike you can't stay still on a bike you're either going forward or you're falling down and the Christian life is the same way you can't there's no cruise control you can't just click it on and go hey and it could happen if we do slip back we find ourselves acting, acting more like mere worldlings indistinguishable from the men of the world the women of the world and as the old cliche puts it think about this think about it this way If you feel distant from God, who moved? Who moved? It wasn't Him. He's there the whole time. And that's the second thing that He talks about here at the core of what is at the core of fighting and wars among us. And that's worldliness. Because it's all about relationship with God, isn't it? Look at verses 4 and 5. You adulterous people. Don't don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? My brothers and sisters, James here makes one of the most convicting calls to repentance in the whole New Testament. Listen, he's calling God's people out for being adulteresses. That's shockingly strong language. But here's what I want you to see. It's not an exaggeration. Listen, follow with me for a minute here. Track with me just for a second. What would you call a married man who gives himself over to a lover rather than his wife? He gives all he has for his lover's attention, his lover's acceptance, his lover's approval, all the while he gets up in the morning, gives his his, his wife a little kiss and says, Good morning, hun, see you later as if nothing's wrong. Does that sound right to you? Which one of us our hearts wouldn't break for that woman? who loves her husband, who cooks for her husband, who, who cares for her husband, only to have him giving himself over to lovers. And then coming home like all, everything's peachy. And James, like a faithful, longtime friend, calls him out, as it were, and says, You, sir, are an adulterer. And I'll tell you, I hope James is your friend, because he's my friend. Because that's what he says to me, you adulterer. You've lost, your, you've forsaken your first love. You've gone after all other kinds of loves, all other kinds of idols. And you've become just like the world that hates God. You remember there's a whole book of the Bible about this, by the way, in the Old Testament. Anybody know what it is? It's Hosea. Remember Hosea? And God has this holy prophet marry a prostitute. And it's a, it's a, it's a sign It's a parable, a living parable of what his people had done to him. We heard earlier a prayer request that this young couple would take seriously the vows they just took. And that's what James is saying. He's calling us back to our vows, as it were. When Jesus stood up for us, when he took the hit, when he said, as it were, in that marriage, I do. While we were yet sinners, he died for us and said, this is my bride. And he owned us as his own. And he says, how can you, my brothers and sisters, cozy up to the world, that same world that lives in defiance against the one who loves you and gave himself for you? And what James says is when you're doing that, you're siding with the enemy. And we're not just sinning against law, we're sinning against a person. We're sinning against love. You get that? It's one thing to break one of the commandments. It's another thing to break the heart of God. That's what James is saying. James here in his book, and I think it's important to see this. We've been going through it all summer. He sees Christianity not only as a religion. Yes, he uses the word. But he sees Christianity as a living, intimate, breathing relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the way James sees Christianity. And he likens it to the most intimate of all human relationships. There is no closer relationship than a husband and a wife. The two shall become one flesh. And that is what the relationship is between Christ and His church. The bridegroom and the bride. And that's why friendship with the world is spiritual adultery. One more short quote from Lucas. I told you I have one more. He says, A deliberate choice of being a friend of the world makes me an enemy of God. He's not saying I have to opt out of the world. I can't help but living in the world and breathing its germs. But if I wish to be its friend, to keep in with the world, then I become an enemy with God. Listen, this is what happened to one of Paul's fellow workers. We often look at the early church like it's his perfect ideal, but when we forget, it's people like you and me. Paul had a worker who preached the gospel alongside him and apparently was helpful for a while. And you remember what his name is? His name was Demas. And in 2 Timothy, we hear this. This is what Paul writes to Timothy about him. He says to Timothy, Please come to me quickly for Demos, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Notice the connection. When you desert God for the world, who else are you deserting? The people of God. That's the connection here in this text. There's fighting, there's wars in the church, and the problem with that is, it's because we've walked away from God. And we walk away from God, we're no longer in accord here, because we're at accord here. And because we're trying to fit in with the world over here. We're blending back in. We're receiving their values, their praise, their acceptance. Man, that's some pretty dark stuff so far, isn't it? But it's the word of the Lord. We had to go through that before we can get to this part. And that's the last thing I want to talk about this morning. Hey, look, I'm leaving for three weeks. I had to give it to you this morning. All right, so second thing we see, last thing in this text is not just the cause for our fighting and quarrels. The remedy, it's in verse 6. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I don't know about you. When I read this, I breathe a big breath of relief. But he gives us more grace. Can I get an amen? There is good news. So James believes in the gospel after all, doesn't he? He was making me sweat it, I'll tell you, boy. He was making me sweat it. But here he says that wonderful truth that God gives us more grace. As bleak as it is, as much as our sinful nature causes us trouble and destruction, as much as we are constantly in danger of falling back in with the world, the good news is God persistently pursues us by His grace. And if we truly know Him, He will woo us back to Himself. Amen? But notice, it's very important to see what the connection is here. His proof to this of this is from the whole Old Testament scriptures, and this is why the scripture says, Paul, um, James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here, the answer is so simple, simple that the world stumbles over it. That the wise and the learned say it just can't be that easy. But here's the answer. answer. Return to God. Remember what happened when you first came to know Him? What did you do? You turned to God. In humble faith and repentance, you acknowledge, you're right, God, what you say about me. I'm all messed up. I'm broken. And right now, I empty myself of myself. I fall before your throne and I say, take me as I am. I submit to you. I humble myself. Because notice what happens. The proud who think they got it all together, who think they just need a little tune-up, God opposes them to their face. says, so you ain't ready apparently yet. You with me? But the humble, he does what? Oh, I've been waiting for you to come. Look at this treasure house of grace I have for you. I'm going to dump it out and you won't be able, your cup won't be able to hold it. It's always been the answer. It's always been the remedy. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Ah! First time he's mentioned in this passage, there is a sinister presence hanging around. You notice who he is? The slanderer. The enemy of God. And he's real. The devil. The adversary he's not it's not just some evil force like electricity it's not some guy with a horn horns and a pitchfork and red and some silly costume we're talking about a fallen angel who rebelled against the holy will and rule of god and now is here he tricked our our deceived our first father and mother and brought us into this mess right and to this day, his job is to try to get a wedge between you and God. And here's the interesting thing. You submit to God. Don't go fighting the devil. That's the silliest thing. You, you ain't got enough power to fight the devil. I'm telling you that right now. Like, I'm gonna, yeah, you're going to do nothing, buddy. He's got time on you. He's got power on you. He's, he's seen it all. There's nothing like, oh, I'm going to trick him with this new thing. No, it ain't going to happen. There's so one thing you can do. You can submit to God. You can go, Daddy. And resist him. And guess what happens when you resist him? The Bible says it right here. He runs away. You know why? I always love I get this picture in my mind. I come and I say, I resist you, the devil. Devil, go. And he runs away. And I'm like, huh. And then I turn around. Oh, I bump right into Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus is behind me going, mm-hmm. That's what's going on in this text. You run to Daddy. And the devil's like, oh, I saw, you know, I was just, (laughs) gone. You know, I know we are to love God for every one of His magnificent attributes. He's holy, He's good, He's righteous, He's pure, He's omniscient, He's omnipresent. We can go on and on, His manifold perfections. He's perfect. But I'll tell you how much I love my Heavenly Father for this one thing that we see in this text. His gracious, patient, persistent love that never turns away from us when we draw near Him in humble faith and repentance. Here's what James is saying. God will not run away from you if you run to Him. He will not turn His back If you truly come to Him, you draw near to God, this is a promise. Take it home to the bank. It's worth more than any money that you could possibly have. If you turn to God, draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Isn't that awesome? Because I'll tell you, you cannot say that about any other living human being in this world. None of us are perfect. I want to be. On my best days, I would wish that whenever Pete needs me, I'll be there, but I can't make that promise because I'm I'm just a, a man of clay and sin. I gave you an opportunity to say amen right there. But Jesus, he is with us to the end. And it's a simple thing. He says, draw back near to me. After all you've done, you've committed adultery. You know, my wife and I, that I should tell you this, maybe she's up there, but we always say, you know, if you, if you uh, cheat on me, man, I'm out of here. Yeah, you know, we, we do that with one another. But here's the thing. Here's the awesome thing. And of course, we can laugh like that because we love each other so deeply. Um, we would both be idiots to even think like that. But um, God's, we're 26 years married, working on 27. That's the faithfulness of, that's God. That's all God, believe me. But now I digress. Why did I even say that? Oh, because God, here's why. Even though we committed adultery, that's how serious James characterizes being a friend with the world. All we got to do is draw back near, and he takes us back. But now notice what this drawing near entails. I, I do want to just spend a couple more moments and we're done. There's a false gospel out there, especially today, that's been really spread, spread out a lot, especially, I think, believe it stems from some guys in America. And of course, where else is it going to come from? And they say this, God loves you just the way you are. Punto. Period. And what they mean is do whatever you want to do. It don't matter. Just God loves you. Just keep living in your sins. It's all going to come out in the wash. That's what they say. I ain't lying. But here's the problem with that. The real truth is this. God loves you just the way you are. And too much to let you stay that way. See, I agree with the first part as long as you say the second part. That's biblical. That's biblical. Spurgeon puts it this way. Sin and hell are married unless repentance declares the divorce. You got that? So that's why James says this. He's a little heavy here, but this is what he says. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For this is what the high and lofty One says who lives forever, whose name is Holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. A contrite heart, brothers and sisters and young folks, it means a heart that's broken over their sin, that's sorry for leaving God, that really desires to change and wants to come back to God. Listen. God desires our wholehearted devotion. James keeps Using this term here throughout his epistle, this double mindedness, this double minded man. We need to grieve over our lack of devotion. We need to mourn the loss of our first love. And we need to wail over our sinful desires and worldliness. You know, that's what's going to make me long for you, Lord, right? When will I ever learn to live in God? Oh, Lord, when will I ever learn? When I was young, man, I had done some pretty shameful things as a youth. And this one uh, gentleman, one of my neighbors, um, uh, he he was aware of one of these bad things I did, and I was embarrassed. But I got to see him again after I got saved. And his wife said, see, look, look, Santo, he he came to know Jesus. He's, He's religious now, is probably how she said it. And what he said to me, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of funny when you think of me. And, he, and he said, um, well, little religion never hurt anybody. And God gave me boldness. I said, no, it, killed people. it kills people, little religion. God doesn't accept half-hearted little religion. God wants all of you. He gave all of himself to you on the cross. He didn't leave anything left. He gave it all. And he says, I just want one thing from you now. Come follow me. Come follow me and I'll make you into a new creation. He wants all of us, brothers and sisters. That's how wars are ended. We get right with God. We return to Him and it result in peace in the church. Now listen, this is not only the remedy for the sin of loving pleasure more than God or for worldliness, it's the remedy for all the things James has been convicting us of throughout his epistle so far. Listen, remember he talked about taming the tongue? That was pretty convicting, wasn't it? Because each of us knows we, once we make the pledge, we go out and mess up in about five minutes. Right? We say something stupid. Or remember when he talks about true religion is taking care of widows and orphans in our distress? How many of us have been visiting them regularly? You're with me, right? (laughs) The point here is the answer to all those ills and backsliding is to return to God, to humble ourselves, to submit to Him, to resist the devil. And listen, I'm going to close with this, but I want you to hear this. That's why, listen, this is so important. This is something you may learn for the rest of your Christian life that will be a very powerful point here. That's why anybody who tells you you can have this one experience and that'll make you perfectly holy. You'll be sanctified. You won't sin anymore. Or all you need is a certain thing and then you'll live the victorious Christian life. This is why that is totally impossible. It's unbiblical and it doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you why. God wants you to come to him regularly. Are you with me? He wants you to draw near to Him on a daily basis. Not a quick fix once for all. Okay, now I'm fixed. See you later, pa. Doesn't work like that. He wants you to come to Him every day and to hold His hand so He will lead you to His good future for you. Bless you. And His good future for me. This sanctification is a a process. Repentance is a daily thing. And constantly as He shines the light of His Word and His Holy Spirit on our flaws, and boy, you know, at night we look pretty good until we walk up in the mirror and we turn the light on and we go, oh, what happened to that guy? Well, when the Holy Spirit does that, we know what to do, don't we? Humble ourselves, submit to God, resist the devil, and the wonderful thing is He will lift you up in due time. Now listen, once we do that, we better be prepared to be on the outs with our former lover. You understand this? Remember, we're friends with the world, we're enemies with God. So we get back right with God, then what's the world going to be? Our enemy again. So let's not be shocked that the world doesn't accept us anymore. Let's not be shocked that the world starts calling us weird and Jesus freaks once again. I get nervous when I don't get called that after a while. I start thinking, man, I must be blending in. Peter Lord once said this, if you're living in a world where everybody limps, a person who walks normally is considered abnormal. You get that? In other words, we're living in a sick world, my brothers and sisters. If we start walking on the straight and narrow again with God holding His hand, people are going to say we're the weird ones. We're going to be marching to the beat of a different drummer and we're going to look out of place to a world that's going along full steam ahead on the the, the wide road that leads to destruction. But listen, and I really will close with this, but it won't matter much to us. It won't matter much to us because we will be back in the loving arms of our Savior. We will have His smile, His accept, acceptance, His approval, which is worth more than all the riches, all the approval, all the silver and gold this world could ever give. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you give more grace. Thank you for the way home, that it's not complicated. It's not something we have to go study and figure out, Lord. It's just a matter of humbling ourselves and returning. Coming home, like the prodigal. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to your cross we cling, Lord. We come back to our first love. And we pray, Lord, as we finish out this summer, as we start a new school year, God, keep us in your care. Oh, Savior, strengthen us by your grace to walk humbly, to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with you. God, grant this to us that the church may find your peace and may attract a hurting and a fighting word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.